yeah, I've always wanted to be in journalism to help people. That's um, really why I got into journalism. That's Alec Lazenby, a senior staff writer at the Martlet who has a strong focus on social issues. However, I originally wanted to be a foreign correspondent or something along those lines. Um, however, now I feel like in in my community, I'm able to help out a lot more through covering the social issues that are closer to home and um, really things that need to be addressed. We hopped on a call together to talk about his most recent story and his experience with student journalism overall. Hey, I'm Laura Smith, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Martlet Pod, a podcast covering some of the most important news stories from UVic's student-run newspaper. The Martlet Pod is produced in the studios of CFUV, here in the traditional territory of the Lekwungen and Wasainich people in Victoria, BC. On this episode, we'll also be chatting about... UVic has taken over running the elections to a board of governors, uh, but since UVic's taken it over, um, it doesn't really seem like it's a priority for them to publicize that the election's going on. Two new students were recently elected to the board of governors, one of UVic's highest decision-making bodies. Um, I think that what we're seeing now is an even broader reckoning, an even broader, really society-wide um, investigation into the way that um, anti-blackness is embedded in the system of uh, policing of the criminal justice uh, system. And UVic Humanities Literacy Week centered around BIPOC voices, with the highlight being a talk with Canadian activist, academic, and author Robin Maynard. So hello again. Uh, thank you co- for coming back onto the podcast. Um, if you've listened to previous podcast episodes, you may have heard this voice once or twice before uh, because you write like a decent amount of news for the Martlet. So I keep being like, hey, Alec, do you want to come back on the podcast? <laughs> so um, like I said, I know you've introduced yourself once or twice, but do you want to just give a quick hello and who you are? Well, hello. Thank you for having me back. Um, for those of you that don't know, I'm Alec Lazenby. I'm a senior staff writer with the Martlet, and I mainly cover news with a specific focus on sort of social issues, mainly the unhoused community. So in the most recent issue of the Martlet, you've written a story on uh, social enterprise and some youth involvement in the unhoused community. I was just wondering to start off, if you could kind of just give a brief description of the story and what's been going on there. Um, so this was something that I saw through a press release that was sent um, to me by our editor-in-chief, Kate Cordy. And what it basically is, is the Greater Victoria Coalition to End Homelessness has um it, this has been under development for the last six months but they've recently started i guess like it's up and running now this social enterprise model for uh unhoused youth mm-hmm. who for whatever reason they're unhoused mainly because of the um, social welfare system um or just other areas that resulted in them being out on the streets uh this initiative sort of provides a way for 
unhoused youth to get housing, um, do research and learn tools um, from experts to basically be able to, at the end of their stay at the um, with the social enterprise model, basically go out and and get a job or do what they want. And it's very much from the ground up. Um, the youth decide what they want to focus on and what research they want to do. And the Greater Victoria Coalition will have staff who have expertise in those areas or will bring out um, outside experts who have expertise in that. And it's sort of, it's sort of a collaborative model in that um, the unhoused youth are are learning tools from experts and then experts are learning from the unhoused youth about the conditions of youth homelessness and what sort of causes it and hopefully coming up with models to address it. Mm -hmm. However, um, the program isn't necessarily meant as an end to youth homelessness. It's more in regards to creating a um, a gap between other programs um, as well as the social welfare state so that um, youth who may be in precarious situations when they come out of the welfare system they aren't instantly on the streets they have something that they can get involved in and get housing and get tools and sort of go from there and go to school or go into jobs and so far they have 15 residents at the building um, it's being kept secret just for safety of the youth. Right. Because uh, they might have minors on the site at some point, mm -hmm. uh, not currently. But it's it's a dormitory type area, but the youth have an opportunity to sort of create it how they want, decorate it, um, put in the furniture that they want. And it's very much the youth, for the most part, run the facility. Right. Although there are, there's one staff member for every three residents on site at, all the time mm -hmm. um and so right now that's three staff members who have training in housing have training um in have either experience or expertise in um homelessness and also have different skills that they can bring to the table for helping the youth and so it's very early days yet they're hoping to get up to about 25 or 30 residents oh wow um and so yeah, so far it's only been about two weeks, but it seems to be going well so far from everyone that I've spoken to, and yeah. That's great. And there was like a, a group of youths that actually helped with the planning of it, right, as well? So basically what it was, um, was there was a youth-led, um, almost planning committee, and they were led by uh, the Greater Victoria Coalition um youth homelessness coordinator Emily Jackson as well as um, uh, research project manager Jarvis Niglia. Mm -hmm. I hope I'm saying that correctly. And it it's really designed by youth who have experience um, being unhoused and being homeless. And so it sort of really comes from that perspective in f figuring out ways to make this program welcome for the youth right and sort of allowing them to have a safe space where they can develop and grow and um, gain the skills that the gaps in the social welfare system um, currently currently lack yeah that's sort of what's been going on 
and they've already started some initiatives. Um, for example, uh, during the recent winter storm, we had uh, the the youth um, organized for elderly members of the unhoused community to um, sleep in their sort of cafeteria area hmm. and get out of the weather, get out of the storm. And so they've been engaged in sort of philanthropy and act, um, activist activities such as that. Um, and yeah, so they've already been engaging in that sort of sense. Yeah, it seems like such an interesting project and so collaborative and yeah, not just like you were saying, kind of from the ground up, not just like this kind of top down project, which is so neat to see. And I need to say that I have not been able to speak to any of the youth involved in the program. So I have not gotten their perspective. The mm-hmm. perspective that I've gotten is purely from the Greater Coalition um, to end homeless, the Greater Victoria Coalition end homelessness. Right. And so I do have to give the caveat that it's, it is very um, one-sided in the information that I've been mm-hmm. given. Unfortunately, I don't have access to the um, youth who are currently in the program. So I don't, I can't get that clearer picture and fuller picture at the moment. Right. Makes sense. Yeah. And in terms of when you started writing about this story, you said that you got it from a press release. Um, but I also know that you've been covering the unhoused community in Victoria for quite a while. So is this something where you saw the press release and it really stuck out to you because you've written on very similar topics? And is it something that you think you'll kind of you'll look back at this program maybe in the future? It, it's an interesting um, project simply because it is very much developed from the ground up. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the fact that it's a tangible measure of hopefully real change that has been initiated um, by the city of Victoria, who, also, who are also heavily involved in the project, as well as the Greater Victoria Coalition and Homelessness. Because oftentimes, um, in speaking to members of the unhoused community, they feel like these programs or these organizations or even the city aren't really creating real change and real opportunities for members of the unhoused community. Right. There's a lot of frustration around that. And so I was interested to sort of see what this project was about, what was going on with the project, because you get very little information in a press release. So it's it's always interesting to sort of get more information about this. And yeah, it's it's hard to tell if this project will really make real tangible change. Mm-hmm. As I've said before, it's not meant as a cure-all for youth homelessness, um, but even just providing opportunities for youth who are at risk of becoming unhoused. It uh, it's It's really good to see a sort of program like that that does take into consideration the views of people who do have experience being unhoused and also um, facilitating that the housing and skill building of youth who are just out of the social welfare system who are the most vulnerable um, demographic to becoming unhoused. Right. And you were saying that like in terms of when the people staying here are able to move out, like they're not focusing on just like, oh, sp- like this job, let's work on skills for that or work on skills to go to school. It's very much molded to the residents and what they kind of want to focus on and what skills they want to develop. Yeah, and it's very much this program 
uh, is hoping to develop skills that uh, create more more sustainable futures in terms of careers, in terms of job opportunities. And it also allows for members of the program to engage in something that they might be interested in mm -hmm. as opposed to just being given something and going, oh, this is the only option. So it really does provide multiple avenues for youth to um, hopefully build a sustainable future. Right. Yeah, I've always wanted to be in journalism to help people. That's um, really why I got into journalism. However, I originally wanted to be a foreign correspondent or something <laughs> along those lines. Um, however, now I feel like in in my community, I'm able to help out a lot more through covering the social issues that are closer to home and um, really things that need to be addressed and just providing voices for those that mm -hmm. aren't really able to have their own platform or aren't often approached to give their own perspective on things. Yeah. Do you think um, maybe you see yourself in 10 years or whatever that is, um, do you want to continue to focus on this kind of like, for lack of a better word, like longer form or um, more in-depth kind of article writing then do you think over more the faster daily news or any other kind of like, oh, this is where I'd love to be in however many years as a journalist? Uh, definitely. I'd love to focus more long form um, investigative pieces around social issues. I'd mm -hmm. love to expand my reach into um, say the op opioid crisis, uh, goodness words are hard, um, <laughs> and sort of other issues that really afflict the community. And sort of right now, I'm limited in the amount of time and the amount of, I guess, resources that I can put into doing that sort of investigating. Mm -hmm. And so right now, I'm writing more shorter pieces because that's what I unfortunately have time for and unfortunately um, the capacity for. And so, but I, as I, as I graduate and as I have more time to track down stories and track down leads and track down sources, I'm definitely hoping to provide more in-depth coverage of sort of um, social issues. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of like restraints and such, I know UVic doesn't have a wide array of journalism courses, say that maybe some other universities would. Was it hard to start writing in a journalist or like a news fashion? Because of course, as a student, we're all very used to the academic writing, but an essay is a little different than a news piece. Um, so when you first started, was that a little bit of a barrier? And has it just been kind of like gaining skills or? I definitely think that that was a major, not problem, but definitely a barrier mm -hmm. at first in the sense that I had only ever been taught how to do academic writing. Right. Um, however, I did have a little bit of a background in creative writing. Mm. Sort of really helped me transition to more um, journalistic style prose. Um, however, definitely it's that compartmentalization of the academic from the more, uh, I guess, creative side yeah. that you really use for journalism. And as I've gotten sort of more used to the differences, I've been able to combine them in both. So all I've gotten a little bit more creative in say my academic writing in a way that I know will work. And I've gotten, I've 
my writing and journalism has gotten better because I'm, I just through doing all this writing, I've just gotten to become a better writer. Mm -hmm. And so really it's, it's about definitely developing those skills. But honestly, one of the keys for just um, being a good journalist is just writing and writing a lot and you just get used to it and it becomes not second nature. I still make lots of mistakes. I'm still learning a lot. <laughs> Voice is a major issue for me, but just sort of developing those skills. And the only way you can develop those skills is through doing and learning. So. Yeah, absolutely. Has there been any like really specific moments where um some some area of writing or interviewing or something along the lines of being a journalist like where it's like oh I've realized this is a completely different way to do this like oh I should try this out have you had any of those kind of moments many <laughs> I've had many of those moments uh as I've said before I think one of the things that I love about the Martlet and student journalism and being in that space to begin with is everyone comes at it from a completely different angle from a completely different mindset of how to go about interviewing, how to go about writing, uh, what constitutes a good story. And so you sort of just through talking with others and through reading others' pieces and seeing how they do things, um, you pick up stuff from other people and just you'll look at some somebody and go, oh, hey, I really like the way that that person is doing this. Mm -hmm. I'm going to try to incorporate it into my work. And I really think that's helpful, having that newsroom type feel, um, which unfortunately during the pandemic <laughs> is not as um, conducive to that. Also just found, honestly, um, through working on social issues and interviewing members of the unhoused, just learning that don't be a robot when you're interviewing <laughs> people. That's, that so many journalists are prone to just sort of cutting off their emotions and their empathy and um, asking questions that they've preset. But really, if you allow yourself to feel, if you allow yourself to be empathetic, mm -hmm. um, it, one, makes the person you're interviewing feel more comfortable. Um, so they're more likely to open up to you. And two, you're more likely to understand them and and get more information out through follow-up questions or through just building relationships and and that's uh, also a really rewarding part of journalism for me is just um being able to give these people a platform to say things that they they, they wouldn't have a platform otherwise and sort of getting news out there that needs to be heard and yes it's not always the most objective way about going about things but i think that it's really important to be a human being mm -hmm. as well as a journalist. at the end of the day you need to be a journalist you need to do your job um you can't let the sources affect how you do things but at the same time be a human being and and understand that um, these people are going through things and think of them as more than a source and I think kind of maybe on the other side of still community, but um, not the interviewees, but the journalists, I know you guys recently had um, your panel for covering COVID. And I was just wondering, maybe you could talk on that a little bit, like how that kind of came about. And yeah. That was definitely a brainchild of Kate. <laughs> um, and 
it just sort of came about because it is hard to connect with your peers um, during this time. And we really wanted to just have a discussion about what's been going on in newsrooms since COVID-19 began mm -hmm. and just how journalists have adapted, um, how, say, the Black Lives Matter movement or um, land defenders uh, have really changed journalistic practices, excuse me, mm -hmm. and just to sort of, I guess, catch up and have a conversation. It also served as a fundraiser for us, which allowed um, uh, Kate, our, one of our senior um, staff editors, uh, Kylie Furbowski, and me to go to the go to NASH, which is the yearly Canadian student journalism conference. And so that was that was really nice, um, sort of a real nice side benefit of that. Mm -hmm. But it was really just about connecting with our peers and having an open, honest discussion about where journalism is at. Yeah, were there any like big takeaways from that panel or things that kind of across the board everyone agreed on or pointed out in terms of COVID and journalism? I think that oftentimes um, as journalists, we don't think about where we are at ourselves, mm -hmm. mental health in terms of well-being. And one thing that really across the board was talked about and discussed was the importance of, yes, you need to do your job and continue um, tracking down stories and and all of that, but it's important to take a step back and really work on, make sure that you're, you're doing well because um, COVID and this pandemic has been so detrimental to everyone's mental health and well-being. And it's just, it's important that you don't drive yourself into the ground and realize that it is okay to seek support or take a step back and really just make sure that you're at the right, make sure you're in the right place to mm -hmm. do your job to the best of your ability. And I think one kind of last thing I wanted to touch on, I just wanted to ask you, I think there's such a conversation, especially around student journalism and like paper journalism, that it is kind of dying out and that like, oh, why would you be a journalist? It's like news is dying. I was just wondering if like you could talk on that a little bit or have any ideas or thoughts about where you want to see journalism or where you want to be in journalism once you graduate. I know that's kind of a broad, big question. So, I think the perception that journalism is dying really stems from the fact that journalism, well, journalism has always been considered a dying profession, no matter when you look at it. And so you need to realize that, yes, jobs are being lost. Yes. Um, cutbacks are being had, but it's, it's really, journalism is never really going to die out. It's a really difficult industry to break into. That's never going to change. Mm -hmm. and it, the job security isn't great. Um, it's not an industry that you get into if you want security or a stable paycheck. It's, it's really a more, a more of a passion career in the sense that you want, you want to be doing what you do and you're willing to work at it. And I think one thing that I took away from Nash is just the way that journalism is changing. And so the more traditional outlets, the more um, print media and 
more traditional ways of daily news and all of that is sort of becoming much harder to um, sustain. Mm-hmm. And so you're getting a lot of these smaller outlets who focus on maybe a specific issue, say, for example, the narwhal um, with environmental, or you get um, uh, pri- privately funded um, institutions such as the Taiyi who focus on a specific brand of journalism. And then you get, you have the, say, the newspaper outlets that um, are mostly online now that feature longer form articles um, that are all over the map in terms of content, such as, say, the New Yorker or the Walrus. Um, and it's just interesting to see that sort of transition. And I think that you'll see um, journalism transition more online. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about? I know we've covered quite a bit of topics today, but if there's anything else that you want to say or talk on? Uh, I think I'm good, Either if there, unless there's anything else that you want to discuss. I don't think so. Yeah, no. Thank you so much for coming on today and chatting with me. I think that was lots of really interesting information and it's great to talk to all of you different writers and getting all your different perspectives about things. It's great. We're a unique bunch. So yeah, thanks so much. (laughs) Thank you, Laura. Undergrad poli-sci student Jonathan Granier and Masters of Public Admin student David Foster are the two new student representatives for the UVic Board of Governors. This board is one of the highest decision-making bodies at UVic. Both of these students have experience in student leadership and both ran unopposed. Granier was previously UVSS Director of Outreach and University Relations and is currently a UVic student senator. His main goals include keeping the university accountable for their recently announced divestment and continuing to push for less fossil fuel investment overall. I think that divestment is really just the beginning for in terms of like climate action at UVix. And so I'd really like to see us take a really aggressive approach to ensuring that uh, our carbon footprint at UVic is reduced. Foster is in his ninth year of studies at UVic after taking a BA in history doing law studies, and now a master's degree. During this time, he has been heavily involved in student disability advocacy. His top priority is creating a more equitable and accessible campus, and will be pushing to require proof of COVID vaccination for everyone participating in on-campus activities. I, I, haven't, I haven't heard what the university's position is on that. I don't think they've said a lot about uh, their plans for in-person classes publicly yet, but uh, it's certainly something that you know, I'll ask them about when I uh, when my term starts, which shall be this summer. This year's UVic Humanities Literacy Week that took place February 8th through 12th aimed to center around BIPOC voices and non-traditional forms of humanities research. Three events happened over the week, with the signature event being a talk with renowned Canadian academic activist and author of Policing Black Lives, State Violence in Canada from Slavery to the Present, Robin Maynard. Her book draws on years of research on systemic racism in Canada's state institutions. Before this book was a cohesive idea, 
It was germinating in my mind for years. I spent much of the last decade doing paid and unpaid outreach, advocacy and organizing work with marginalized and criminalized people, working with racialized youth in state care and in street-based economies, as well as with adult street-based sex workers. I've been constantly and painfully aware of the gross racial and economic injustices at the fault line of Canadian society. Though I have not worked exclusively with Black communities, I've regularly witnessed enormous and disproportionate levels of what can only be called state-sanctioned violence and concerted neglect of Black people. In a response to a question from UVic President Kevin Hall about the ways in which universities can combat systemic racism, Maynard recommended universities end policing on campus and to begin to think about security in ways that aren't punitive towards BIPOC community members. That's the show for this week. Thank you for listening. To read more on the stories I mentioned here or to check out the rest of the issue, head over to martlet.ca. Or you can pick up a hard copy from around Victoria. You can find the Martlet at places like Most Thrifties, Monroe Books, and Union Pacific Coffee. The Martlet Pod is recorded in the studios of CFUV. Check them out at cfuv.ca. And if you want to send them a little support their way, make sure to check out supportcfuv.ca for the annual funding drive from March 12th through 19th. I'm Laura Smith.